You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. Welcome back to the Signal Noise podcast. As always, I'm here with my very handsome and stunning co-hosts, Chris Leonard and Kyle Chernside. What's going on, gentlemen? We're here. We're back. We're back. It's moving forward. Yes, we are here. <laughs> Not there. We're here. When is now? Now is then. Oh, my gosh. I'm already confused. We just started. <laughs> our, our guest tonight, this is, a, this is a really fun one for me. Uh, about six months ago, I was out. My buddy uh, David asked me to come out. I think it was actually close to a year ago. I think, wow. I, I've aged. Holy cow. Um, so my buddy David, uh, he was the system tech for uh, a Lee Bryce concert out in Rochester. And I was uh, had a new uh, some new code for the smart SPL product. And I was looking to test it and go out to a couple shows and, and uh, try it out and show it to some engineers. And David said, hey, man, why don't you come out to, to my gig? And I drove out there. And um, our guest tonight was at the helm for mr lee bryce at the concert uh with his badass all analog mixing setup which we're going to dig into um he before he spent nine years mixing lee bryce he also mixed celtic woman Bo bice trisha yearwood and a laundry list of 90s country artists uh ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the show wayne paulie yay. yay thank you gentlemen <laughs> thanks for being here man hey, glad to be here so you're joining us from from Nashville, right? Yes, sir. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here just a little over 25 years now, and it's uh, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride, but uh, all is well. It's a great city, and I still love it. So that's awesome. That's awesome. I, so I, I want to jump right into talking about the Paragon. Okay. <laughs> so so for context, so I I show up and in front of house is this monster. ATI is it the Paragon Two, Wayne? The it uh, is. Con- it yeah. is. Believe this it or not, that's behemoth. that's actually a monitor console that I'm using for front of house, and there's a very good reason for it. It's an API. I'm sorry, an ATI Paragon P2M to be specific. Um, but the biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons for having that console is for the mic breeze, which, as yes. anyone can tell you that has ever heard an <laughs> API mic pre. They're the same thing, just an older version. They sound the same, and they're magical, to be honest with you. But uh, in having the monitor desk, it allows us to use a lot of the bus outs to sub uh, things together to go to an A to D so we can track, so we can multi-track every night directly off the analog desk. So if you don't have a rig that'll hold, you know, 70-some-odd inputs, of A to D, we could we basically bust it down to a, around 32 inputs uh, to get so we can track every single night. Because I mean, if you're making a live record, what better to make it on than uh, you know an ATI console? Yeah, that's, so that's awesome. kind of how it started. So I, I I've I've only been able to mix on a Paragon two once, but it was a very uh, and I was mixing monitors on it um, at a, a mix of ears and wedges, which is what makes that console great because you have the the separate monitor bus you could have an a and b bus which back in earlier analog consoles you didn't have that option so if you were trying to do ears and wedges on one analog desk back in the day you'd have to like you know kill your mix going to your wedges it was going to your ears and stuff like that but i learned very quickly um how to on one show when you had a problematic 
uh, input channel uh what to what to do or it, it freaked me out it freaked me out actually um so we before, call that the, we call we call that the old uh, john mcgrod love bump so so what i what i learned on this is for those who don't know basically if you're if your channel strip because you know for the kids who are listening who have never worked on an analog desk where you can actually remove individual channel strips out of your console um if your channel goes bad you just crank on the preamp really hard a couple times and the channel comes back to life Make sure you pull the fader down first yes. before you do that. Yes. That's a vital piece of the information you need to put out there. <laughs> yes. No, I like I, I, I we're like doing sound I, we were doing the Tom Joyner morning show one time and um in some theater and like this this channel went bad. I'm like, I'm like telling my system tech and I hadn't been on one of these things before and I'm like, hey, this the channel's not working. He's like, Oh yeah, it happens. He's like, hold on one second. And he reaches up there, you know, mutes the channel and it starts cranking on the head amp. I'm like, What are you doing? And it's like it's kinda like restarting <laughs> kinda like restarting your car. You just crank on the head amp a couple times and it'll come back to life. And sure enough, it came back to life. It, yeah, so that little I mean, trick actually started years ago on uh, the Yamaha PM3000s before there were 3500s and 4Ks. Those old PM3000s, they had um, uh, the mic pre's on those. They had, uh, I don't know, something in the way that they were made, they, they collected dust. And it was quite literally the kind of thing where you could pop an enormous amount of voltage through it and it would break this sort of... Um, crusty contact i don't know it just made everything sound like it started to diminish in, in volume and it started to get real crunchy it was like <laughs> and you'd mute it crank the mic pretty wide open and the voltage would literally blow the dust out <laughs> so you turn it back down to where it was unmute it and you're good to go and i can't tell you how many hundreds of thousands of times i've done that <laughs> is that your console or is it somebody providing that for the tour or what's the story on that thing uh, the console we tour with right now actually belongs to my boss, Lee Bryce. Oh, cool. He bought his own desk. He did. Um, there was a lot of reasons for doing it, but the, the, the biggest reason is it's just the most cost-effective. And by doing that, um, we use uh, Claire Brothers in Nashville as an audio provider. And uh, they have the single most knowledgeable guru probably left alive. Uh, about those things, uh, my good friend Rex Ray, and uh, Rex has forgotten more than I will ever know, uh, especially about those kinds of things. But uh, knowing that he was going to be uh, around and available and agreed to work on it, because I literally had to go to him and ask him, you know, if, I, if we buy this thing, are you, are you willing to, you know, dig into it for me? Because Rex and I, neither one are string chickens, and just getting underneath the console and getting down in it like you're working on the car. Not the easiest chore, <laughs> but he uh, he agreed to to help, and uh, we went and we bought the thing, and man, it's just it's it's like any other. If you think of it like driving a hot rod to work every day, you better own some tools because it's <laughs> you know it's a '57 Chevy, you know, or a '29 Mercedes Gullwing. However you want to look at it, if you're gonna if you're gonna have something like that. You know, it, it is what it is, and it's an amazing piece of machinery, but it requires some love. So you got to give it some love occasionally. So you had another cool uh, gadget, shall we say, which I hadn't seen before because I'm I, I am a spring chicken. Um, the the <laughs> TC Electronic, it's the uh, remote control graphic EQ rig. Um, that's a pretty yeah. neat piece of kit, man. How's that? How tell us about that? 
So the remote is actually just that. Um, it's about the size of um, half of a large pizza box. Uh, it's about that shape. Um, it has 28 motorized PNG faders in it that transfer MIDI information. It literally runs on MIDI, just like a keyboard. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that MIDI information gets linked over through um, a remote control converter that you put into single rack space, um, single mono, one in, one out EQs. Now they work just like a graphic EQ, but obviously there's no faders on this tiny little single space thing. There's just some controls. Uh, there's a rotary and uh, six or eight push knobs. Um, but it's essentially, it's a 28 band virtual graphic EQ that's still analog. It has all analog parts in it, hmm. but it uses tiny little motors uh, inside those to move the filters back and forth. So when you link all these together and you can link as many as 32 of them together on top, um, these were huge in monitor rigs back in the eighties and nineties, you know, everybody from U2 to Bon Jovi, everybody had these things because they're so versatile and you could do, you know, one or a pair or six or all 32, if you wanted together at the same time. So it has a, um, a, a link, if you will, on the on the machine, it's called a pile button, P-I-L-E, but it allows you to, to link um, any combination of the single outboard units together, and they all have their own MIDI ID number, you know, one, two, three, four, all the way to 32. So when you link together, you give each one of them an individual MIDI ID and a channel number so that when the remote connects to the, um, the rack mount controller. It's really just a MIDI cable. <clears throat> um, you can select which EQ you want to adjust. Just hit number one and go over and push it up or down because it looks, the remote control looks just like a graphic EQ. It's like one of the ones you would have seen like a Clark Technic uh, 360 or anything like that. Um, but when you when you go over and you hit the remote, they're, they're um, touch sensitive. They work on static. So if you have gloves on, they won't work. You literally <laughs> have to touch it with your actual finger, with your finger, and the the static, the ground is what um, the touch sensitive faders or PNGs. But you just touch it and, and move the fader up and down, and it controls the uh, back mount graphic according to which one you have selected, and then uh, it just it works. And they're all again, they're all old analog parts. So there's no pluses or minuses. There's no ones and zeros in the signal chain. In fact, I go to great lengths to not have ones and zeros in my signal path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very interesting because I'm used to so Clark Technic, at least they're like their DN three sixties, or I guess they made a digital version of them that had a uh -huh. remote a remote very similar to this. And then even like the smaller clubs would have like the Ashley Portillas that had a very similar remote, but I guess the difference being that both of those systems were digital, whereas this is being analog. So that's that's pretty uh, interesting difference there. Correct. Not only were they was the the remotes, uh, the TC remotes. Not only were they literally just MIDI controllers over analog parts, but the thing weighs about fifty five pounds. It's it's heavy because it's got twenty eight fader out, motorized faders in it. You think about a console like a studio console, um, like an SSL or whatever. Any of those consoles that have motorized faders in them, that's where the bulk of the weight is. 
you know, that and the fact that there's the 10 million resistors and caps and whatnot. <laughs> but this thing has 28 motorized faders in it. You pick it up and it's like, you better have both hands on it. <laughs> yeah, but those, slightly uh, heavier than your iPad. <laughs> yeah, slightly heavier than 20 iPads. But the those old KTs, the Clark Technics, and the Ashley's and DVX made a version of it too. Um, again, like you said, that was all digital information. And man, the faders were just, they just, they were made to be a budget entry version of what TC had. And the only way to cut cost is to cut parts. So they figured out that they could use, um, you know, the same kind of cons, the same kind of faders you'd use in like an SC48, but a much smaller version. And I think the Protea didn't even have faders. I think it just had up and down push yeah. buttons. Yeah, yeah. The, the push buttons. Yeah. And um, I, I won't make a mention of the manufacturer of the rig. It's hanging in the room. But the EQ that I see on that uh, EQ there, it representative of the mains that are hanging there. So I recognize that curve. But anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was. I mean, let's let's dive into the the tuning a little bit because uh, this was this was a lot of fun. Speaking as you know, I'm a measurement geek. You know what I mean? I spend a lot of time measuring systems. Nerd and, alert! And, Nerd alert! Yeah, Nerd yeah. Alert. So, <laughs> um, you put on your your music and you kind of found the what you were looking for on your graphic, and then you went over to David and and just basically described those filters to him and had him put them in the system. And I think that's that's kind of a neat. Uh, you know, way to kind of feel it out with the graphic. That's a cool process. Well, man, it's, it's literally each person is, is proficient in whatever tool they have used or have become accustomed to, you know, for the longest time, a lot of guys are using lakes um, just because of how versatile they were. And, and I've tried that through uh, a few different other acts that I won't mention. Um, I've tried using a lake as a house left, right, you know, left, right, sub fill. That's what everybody that tours that doesn't travel with, with PA, which we don't at this point, that's what everybody has. So I've, I've tried using the lakes and I just, it took for, it took me personally forever to get it right. Mm. And I never seemed like I could get it right. And it wasn't because the machinery was failing or it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. It was just, uh, some guys print and some guys write in cursive. There's no right or wrong to it. It's just apples and oranges. And I've been using a graphic EQ since, Jesus, since 1984. So, I mean, if I don't have it right at this point, I should quit. <laughs> it was, um, it, you know, one thing that I that I really enjoyed about kind of being out there and hanging out with you on, on show day, Wayne, was um, you were, you're not afraid to kind of like get your hands dirty and kind of play around. Like we were wondering like, Oh well, I wonder how low these these subs can go. So we we kind of just sat there and put a <laughs> sine wave through the system, and we just found out, you know. And uh, usually on show day, a lot of, a lot of folks uh, in your position just don't want to deal with nonsense like that. But we we had a good time with it, you know. And uh, you roughed yeah, in your that's, all, that's you, where the fun is, man. Yeah, exactly. See, that's that's what I'm all about. And uh, you know, you're like, all right, I'm gonna try to align do the main sub alignment by ear. And uh, then you said, "All right, now I have the computer do it. Let's see how close I got." And <laughs> you came within a half millisecond, man. That's 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 awesome. You know, that's really really cool stuff. So so um, you know, kind of the environment that you create with with the local crew and and everyone that's working with you on the show. I mean, I I just I respected that a lot. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that very much, man. And literally, this all boils down to two things, man. First and foremost, we're all out there to do a job. There's no reason why we can't have a good time doing it. Just be smart and be safe and don't be an asshole. It's pretty simple. 
right? <laughs> yeah, amen to that. So, but I, and I also want to uh, tell you that it's it's a testament for our crew specifically that we literally have the best boss I've ever worked for in, in 30 years. Like I've, I've had some great bosses, but, uh, my current boss is he's literally the best boss I've ever had. That's, and I, I say that to everyone, not just, uh, not just blowing smoke, but and it's, it's the truth. And he allows all of us to do our jobs. And, uh, you know, we take care of each other and we take care of ourselves as best we can. And there's just this, um, element of trust from the boss to the band to the crew. I mean, you know, down to the truck driver and the bus drivers. We're just because we operate so much as a as a family entity. We have the freedom to do stuff like that. Like the day you showed up, and you know, we've messed around and probably forty five minutes or an hour longer than I would have. But it was a good time. I had a good time. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, you know, you also kind of paid that trust forward to the local crew and, you know, David, who was your system tech for the day. You know, you're like, look, man, I'm going to make it sound good here. You guys make it sound good everywhere else at your job. You know, you weren't you weren't micromanaging him. You weren't you know, you just you just trusted in him to do what he does. And he's very good at that. And, and you know, and it and it sounded great. I mean, I, I, that's that's kind of, you know, those are the easy days that I think we all look forward to. <laughs> Tell me about it. You know what my biggest <laughs> thing is when traveling? And I knew, because I can tell, man, you walk into a room and you can tell uh, who's the guy and who's not the guy. Mm. And you can tell who has their shit together and who doesn't. It's especially at this age, because I've seen it all. It's not that I'm better than anybody else, man. I've just been out there long enough to see, I, I call a spade a spade. And I knew that was going to be a good day. I knew. Um, but you have no idea how many times I go into a um, less than desirable situation and I literally turn the music on and I can't make left and right sound the same. You have no idea how many times that happens. It's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy, especially in this day and age, man, with technology the way it is. Right. There's, there's, there's just no excuse for that, man. Come on. Well, I think that's it, that's no, that's sort of my, you know, the cardinal rule of being a system tech. Whatever other crazy stuff you have to do to get that PA working in time for the show, left and right better sound the same. You know, if nothing else, you could have total mayhem, but left and right have to match because that's the one thing the front of house dude's going to check. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> well, you have to have a point of reference, otherwise, nothing else really matters. <laughs> you know, if it's not, if you don't have a, a good point of reference, then hell you're just you're you're playing golf in the dark so what's your uh i i i feel like it was sting but i don't remember what was your go-to system tuning track yeah. it's uh the album is 10 summoners tales and i use a few tracks off of that and i have for a very long time in fact so long that i've known that people i know from other tours send me uh texts when they hear it out in public they're like oh god Sound check time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of a Pavlovian response. You, you get enough uh, singers and players conditioned long enough. They're like, oh, God, it's time to go. Time to go. No, but it's um, uh, Fields of Gold. Um, and then uh, uh, Shape of My Heart and Something the Boy Said. 
that they all really it's for me personally it's one of the best produced records i've ever heard uh it's like i said and it's a personal favorite it's not necessarily the best record ever produced you know you could argue the steely dan guys and everybody has their thing just like digital consoles versus analog consoles and even veins of the same you know Midas console doesn't sound anything like a paragon but um i found that that record because it is in the in the years before you know the volume wars there's there's not a ton of compression on it it is really true to the uh purity of the, of the sine waves that it's just you know it's just a great 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 sounding record and it's not a perfect record it's a little hot around 250 and it's a, a little hot around 3k but um when you've heard it probably a hundred thousand times you can use that point of reference and that's really what it boils down to having a point of reference that you're tuned in with that you know okay when i listen to this this is what i hear this is what i don't hear this is what's working and this is what's missing you know it's just and again it to each his own whatever works for you man more power to you and you know there's lots of guys when i was young that lived and breathed by steely dan and that's great if it works for you it works for you but you know you get into the later times and there's uh oh there was this one uh toy matinee uh was a band that no one had ever heard of but they had this one perfect track that had just a ton of shit in it and uh (laughs) It just it started out with like an acoustic guitar and there's this drums and everything was super tight, but it was still in the days of the analog to digital conversion. You know, it was recorded a certain way and it's just a great song. Um, and a lot of guys use that. Uh, I've gone through spells of trying other things. So I tried uh, Peter Gabriel for a while. Um, I got when I was doing Celtic Woman, I got pretty deeply into like the the Buble type recordings and Chris Bodie, the trumpet player and the way that, uh, those records are all made, you know, they're, they're all in that David Foster vein of production. And, uh, those work great for certain instances, but they don't work great for every instance. That's why I always just keep going back to 10 Summers tales. Just, yeah. That's my go-to. So, uh, talk about some of your uh, some of your outboard processing. I think is that a TC is that a six TC six thousand you had uh, on that rig? It is. Yeah. So it is. Um, the 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 TC line of effects by far is my favorite verb. Uh, like for you know, I know Kyle, you could have comments because I can't stand a Yamaha reverb. Uh, I know. <laughs> now to now, like, to each his own. Because I, I, I know, I know, I know. I'm just saying, <laughs> I just I can't stand a Yamaha reverb. Uh, but the TC, there's just something about the TC that. And it's mostly about the top end, I feel, in TC. It just has this just natural presence to it that no other reverb has to it. Um, it's, depth, it's depth and clarity. That's, yeah. that's literally what it is. It's the depth of the, of the image and the clarity in the reproduction. And you're right. I, I personally agree. Um, I started out using um, SPX 90s. You know, yes. I know what they sound like. I start with to the to the to the 990s. Hell, I think I have a couple of SPX 90 series two still in my locker. But uh, in going through, the, you know, going to the Rev Seven and then the Rev Five, and 
I've, I've used all that stuff for a long time and it's great for a certain scenario. You know, if I'm going out and, uh, and I'm mixing, uh, Queensryche in the heyday, yeah, I probably want a couple of ref sevens, you know, yeah. Cause it's, it is, it's, it does what it does and that's what you're looking for. And you want, you know, Bon Jovi from the eighties, man, that's, that's kind of where it's at, you know, and you wouldn't do that now, obviously, but those things had a time and a place. Yeah, no, well, I'm, right. I'm, not, I'm not discrediting him. It, it was just more of like if you and, – and I guess and maybe some of the Yamaha stuff too. Like once you listen to it in the mix of everything, it you 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 lose some of that detail so it's not as big of a deal. But if you start like one for one listening to some of these units and you listen to a TC versus a – or just even – I guess even, even Lexicon in that vein, I would take TC or Lexicon over some of the Yamaha or many of the others. Uh, it just when you listen to them by themselves, like you said, that, that depth and clarity that was there was just like – Oh my God! Like this is you know like so even like even when I got my um well it was Digizine at the time but I guess Avid now but like you know the plugins that I was going for I was still going for the TC because of that just that I love it the, the six thousand is great. It is indeed. I, um, when I first started using those, I started out with a pair of M five thousands, literally. Um, that's that's how I started using those, and it just got to the point where because I you know. I've been going down this analog path since analog was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those M5000s, they were great, and they were fantastic, and they did exactly what I wanted them to do. But they literally got, um, as the old-timers would say, they got so long in the tooth because they stopped making them years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not the easiest thing to work on. And uh, w- when they start to fail, they just they, they go hard and fast. So it got to a point where it just wasn't reliable to tour with anymore. And um, the very first version of the System 6000, I actually had analog ins and outs. Now, they don't anymore, and I'll get to that in a second. But when they did, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I got a little TC version of a Lexicon remote, you know, like the little Lark remotes you see with the 960s yeah. or the 480. They got, TC's got their version of that, and it's cooler, I think. And... Uh, they sound so damn good, man. They're just so damn good. Um, like I said, it's it's just for some reason they seem to have figured out all the number crunching and where to put the processing, so that there's such a level of depth and clarity in those in those spaces. It just they they sound they literally sound natural. It's it's almost like absolutely. You know, you're not you're not hearing. A fabricated thing. Um, it, it's just, you know, the perfect sample, I guess, would be the way to say it. It's just, you hit the snare and you just go, just, yeah. it's perfect. It's perfect. So well, I was, Wayne, I was digging around on the the, uh, the old archives of ProSoundWeb.com, and I actually found a article that you wrote for us uh, way back in September 2011, it looks like. Analog Rejuvenation. Oh, wow. The joy of getting back to basics. Do you remember that? I think it was. I think I actually wrote that before 2011. We may sometimes we'll push something back to the top if we think it's like old but still cool, which is what we think about Kyle. Like Kyle, uh, no, yeah. I, I, you, beat me to it. you beat me to it. <laughs> um, and, and in that hey, article, hey, I resemble that remark. I resemble that remark. <laughs> you said uh, one of your favorite analog consoles is the Midas Heritage 3000, which is a sentiment that I think Kyle will will agree with. Um, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> but you also talked about uh, the dangers of over EQing your vocal. And, um, you know, I've heard your show. I've heard that that vocal right on top. Obviously, Lee Bryce, you know, he's a really strong singer and people coming to that show are expecting to hear that vocal and, and, and you know, good intelligibility and get that good tone. I mean, can you talk a little bit about your approach to, to that vocal sound? So with with every artist and with every act, you have to approach the mix from the vocal backwards. So, because anybody that's in this business will tell you, the fans that come to the shows, they want to hear that lead vocal primarily. First Unless it's Dream that's Theater. Unless it's Dream Theater. But yeah. uh, okay. Or David Sanborn. <laughs> you said in the article, vocals are 75% to 85% of what the average concert goer hears. Bad vocals yeah. equal a bad mix every time. I love that. I think it's great. Yeah. The, the key to, to a great vocal is, one, don't work for a crappy singer. That's, uh, that's number one. Uh, <laughs> two, uh, understand what you're trying to accomplish with that lead vocal. When I worked for Trisha Yearwood, it was a good old-fashioned 58 on a cable, straight into a split, straight into that Heritage 3000. And all I had on her voice was an Avalon 737 that was barely working, barely working. That, um, and it literally was just to knock the top off of it when she would go to the high notes because she, her voice is so powerful. Um, but that and knowing to, how to tune the PA according to what you want that vocal to come out sounding like. Now, a lot of guys will mess the PA flat and they'll go and they'll hack every channel strip on the desk. Well, there's too much of this here. There's too much of that there. And I got to take some of this out. I got to take some of that out. And my rule of thumb is, man, if you're pulling the same frequency out of more than three inputs, it ain't the input, man. You better yeah. go to the PA. So if you, if you tune the PA right and it sounds good, and again, this gets back to tuning as well, which is, I think, a lost art form at this point. Um, if you get back to understanding what you want the PA to sound like, to make it the perfect reference for what you're trying to accomplish, not a perfect sound or uh, not a perfect uh, graph on a screen, but it has to sound exactly the way you want it to sound as an engineer. Because you're an artist creating just like everybody up there on the deck. You're, you're trying to portray what they vision or what their vision is of how they want to present themselves to the audience. That's literally it. So if you could tune the PA to make what you're trying to accomplish sound as best as it's humanly possible, you shouldn't have to go to 38 out of 48 channel strips. On my on my Paragon, it's an unfair advantage, I admit. I, I stacked <laughs> the deck in my favor. But on that Paragon, uh, two kick channels, uh, three or four tom channels. Sometimes Lee's acoustic guitar, depending on the room, and sometimes his vocal, depending on if it's a ballad or if it's an upbeat. Those are the only things that have EQ on that whole desk. Everything else is flat as a pancake. Now, sure, high passes, low passes, and again, with the, with the Paragon, there's a compressor and a gate on every channel. So I don't have a ton of outboard. Um, but it literally just boils down to putting the right microphone or DI, and they do make a huge difference, on the right 
uh, source tone so that everything comes to you sounding the way you want it to sound, then you don't have to mess with it, you know? And ask any true pro, and they will tell you that the less you EQ cumulatively, the more everything is going to come together, man. It's, it's, it's not even a matter of math. I mean, it is, but it's inherently just phasing. And the more you EQ things, the more wonky the whole phase coherency gets. So if you leave it alone, you know, it's a lot less to worry about. Um, uh, if you, once you put all that stuff together, and then the other stack the deck in my favor winning with the desk is the Paragon has probably the best summing amplifiers on the planet, like in existence. I, I don't know of another desk that has summing amps that work as well together as that desk. It's just, I don't know, magic. So, but roundabout getting back to what you're asking, uh, the vocal is, it is pretty much everything from the Joe Schmo perspective or the punters, as we call them from the punters perspective, the vocal is kind of everything. And you can have a great mix and have a crappy vocal. And, uh, you know, Karen's going to go home saying, man, they didn't sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to like the studio mentality. Anyone who's ever worked in the studio, I mean, like you, you spend, you know, sometimes, you know, hours getting mic placement, right? Mic, hold on yards, you know, uh, for your tracking, because, you know, by the time you print that thing, you know, it should be already sounding like what you want it to sound like. And we really should take that more of approach or live as opposed to, you know, oh, I'll fix it in the mix or I'll fix it on the channel strip. That should not be your first go to. It's like, no, run back up to that stage and move that microphone or change the microphone, you know, uh, or make sure the microphone hasn't freaking, you know, the mic stand wasn't loose and the mic stand, you know, the mic just drifted off center of whatever it is that you're pointing at. You know, that, that's, that's, I think that's a lost art, I think outside of system tuning is that you know um how often are people these days front of house guys going up and making sure that the microphone's pointing the way they want it to get point or are they just accepting it and, and just oh i'll just you know your first instinct shouldn't be oh i'll just grab the eq well that's been a theme i mean so if we think about our conversation we had with howard page which anyone who's listening who hasn't heard that episode uh you're missing out Go listen to it. Uh, you know, he says he goes up on stage and he'll place every single one of his own mics. And, and that's why. That's that's how important that is to him. Uh, Kyle and I have talked in the past about how, you know, you have to really think about what this act on stage is going to do. And I had, a you know, the example we used was I had a drummer who played really lightly. And had I known that going into the show, I would have chosen my mics and my placement differently. So um, I think even before you get to the mic, you're talking about the source. You know, that was... Uh, Chris Mitchell's whole thing is there's no EQ in his entire mix, and the reason is he pays very close attention to the sound of the source. He works carefully with the musicians on the sound they're producing. He's trying to put the mic in a very specific spot, you know, and and so it's just this whole this holistic mentality where um, there's you know there's a lot more to this philosophy than the fact that you got two sweepable mids on your <laughs> your channel strip. <laughs> oh man. Um. Years ago, there was a gentleman that worked at a local recording studio here in town, uh, Sound Emporium. And um, his name was Dave, but his last name, it, it slips my mind. I apologize. But Dave was a studio guy who would come up in the live world. Um, and when, uh, when the late Don Williams would go out and do shows, 
he was literally Don's guy. And this was, again, a very long time ago. And um, they toured with a Yamaha PM3000. And uh, he very specifically would not use inserts of any kind. And he would disengage the EQ on the entire console. He, he chose his tones specifically on microphone choice, selection, and placement. And he would literally just gain it up until it was right, run the fader up to zero, and that was the mix. That's awesome. So, Wayne... It's what, <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, what... Um, where did you find your passion uh, for mixing, and what, what keeps you there? Man, that's a good question, actually. Um, growing up, I was always a tinkerer, even from being a, a very young child, you know, five, six, seven years old. I would take radios apart and shit like that. Um, <clears throat> I found out very early that uh, I, was, I was born with a gift. Um, I was a musician at the, from, uh, I don't know, the age of seven or eight. Um, when I was in fourth grade, uh, this, the school that I went to, they, they would bring in a music teacher and we essentially got a musical aptitude test. Uh, and I had, I literally knew nothing, but I literally, the only person in the class that scored higher than me had three years of piano. And I didn't know what that meant back then. Uh, so I just started playing music. I started playing trombone. I started playing drums. When I got into junior high or middle school, as they call it now, uh, I started playing bass guitar and uh, electric guitar and acoustic guitar and uh, tinkered with the piano a little bit. Um, when it got to the time to start doing performances, um, you know, when you're when you're in eighth, ninth, tenth grade, you can't afford a sound guy. So uh, myself and another friend of mine, we kind of took it on ourselves to just kind of figure it out. Um, that kind of led to doing it on the side for other bands. Again, still in high school, trying to just figure some figure some shit out. But um, the 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 thing that got me, I moved to Los Angeles to try and get a record deal with a rock band, and obviously, thank God that did not work out. <laughs> <clears throat> I'd be dead right now. <laughs> but anyway, um, when I when I left Los Angeles. I'd been doing, I've been doing sound on the side out there um, for four or five years. When I left there, I didn't have any desire to play music anymore. So when I came to Nashville, it was sort of a uh, natural transition. Uh, and I never really knew what good was until um, the turning point for me was uh, the Robert Plant Now and Zen tour. I went to see that show, and it was at that point in my life, the most miraculous thing I'd ever heard in my life. It was amazing. Obviously plant, uh, Doug Boyle was playing guitar. And back then Pat Torpy, who later on went on to play Mr. Big was a drummer. Um, but it was, uh, and I, I don't know who mixed the show. Uh, I have tried to figure it out. And for a while I thought it was Howard Page, but I don't think it was. Um, but regardless, hearing that show was one of the, turning points for sure that kind of instilled in me what was possible because up to that point and it's you know she heard shows in really crappy arenas or clubs or whatever it was never it was never amazing until that one day 
And it was just like, man, a light bulb went off. I'm like, holy crap, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the that was the the epiphany, if you will, the light bulb moment was that day. I don't even remember what day it was. Hell, I don't even remember what year it was at this point. <laughs> I think one of the one of the things that um, that I sometimes forget about the importance of um, is just like you know how cool this all is. I think that moment when you realize that that's, this is someone's job to you know mix these big huge rock concerts. I mean, we, we're around it every day, so to us it's sort of our normal existence. But I, I get these reminders, uh, Wayne. After after we were you know the the Lee Bryce show had ended and we were starting to to load things out, this college kid came up to front of house up to the bike rack and she was beside herself with, um, just, <laughs> just joy. And she's like, Oh my God, we've been studying this in class and it is so excited. And can I get a picture of the console? And you let her, you open up the bike rack for it to let her come and stand by the console and take a picture. And I thought she was going to cry. That was, she was so excited. And that was a really important moment for me because I think you kind of, you know, it's important for me to have those reality checks and go like, yeah, don't forget for a second, this is really cool shit and how much passion is involved in this stuff. And, you know, and it makes me think a lot about um, what are we doing um, to, you know, try to kind of evangelize, if you will, towards the younger folks and go, hey, this can be a job. You know what I mean? This is legitimate. It's not something that, you know, um, you have to take abuse from your parents for. Like, this is a, this is a, a serious <laughs> line. We have uh, Kyle started a... Get a job! Uh, <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I, I think I think the legitimizing the profession, I think, is is an important thing. Uh, Kyle started a uh, mentorship program on our Facebook group, um, which I think is... How's that going, Kyle? Uh, you keeping an eye on I, stuff? I'm the worst mentor ever, but they're having fun. <laughs> Well, at least you got that going for you, which is nice. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I just think I just think it's important. Uh, you know, I, I don't ever want to get to a point where, you know, the attitude becomes the attitude that I've been on the receiving end of, which is get out of here, kid. You know, I got work to do. Um, you know, that that little that kid was me at one point. And because the people I was going up to front of house and bugging, um, welcomed me and showed me things and didn't dismiss me. That's probably why I'm working in this field now. And so it was really cool to kind of watch the interaction. And even, even me, man, like I was kind of, you saw me kind of making eyes at your console and you're like, yeah, step right up, check this out. You started <laughs> showing me stuff. So I just think that's so cool, dude. And uh, I really, uh, I really respect that a lot. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. I'm just trying to pay it forward, man. I got a lot of help early on in my career and my life from a lot of just great human beings. Um, and I'm just, I'm trying to pay it forward, man. Like I said, um, my, my mentor, uh, Rex Ray, who, uh, works in the Nashville Claire shop. He's, he's been a friend of mine for a very long time. And man, I wouldn't be even remotely close to where I am without him. Um, but I've, I've had a few, um, run-ins with less than desirable, uh, engineers, but it's, it's pretty rare at this point. Um, I, I think that as a whole, I think we're we're pretty good at doing stuff like that. I mean, <clears throat> you know, it gets back to rule number one, man. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll put that on our T-shirts. But no, I, I think um, you know somebody <laughs> somebody that's that's been doing this as long as you have. When you walk into a venue and you see that your system tech for the day is somebody like my friend David, who's you know he's a young kid. He just graduated college. He's like 23 years old, and he looks younger than he is, which is the problem that I had on my first tour when I was 20. You know, um, and, and it's and it's it's really easy to look at someone like that and automatically decide this kid can't possibly know anything. Um, I've been doing this longer than See, he's totally, been alive. I, man, I totally disagree. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Um, in my travels, I have run into more um, issue or difficulty with um, system techs or system engineers who are uh, believed to be a little more seasoned. And they're, they're not... Um, they're not pliable. They're not, they're not responsive. You know, if they have done certain things a certain way and it's like, man, I've been doing it this way for blah, blah, blah years. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you've been doing it wrong for blah, blah, blah years. You know? So, uh, um, obviously there are those seasoned pros who are just top shelf, you know, there's the 1% group out there and I have more than the utmost respect for those guys and girls. There's some great women out there too. Um, well, I mean, but but I, I, I think I think that's 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 you know to your to your uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for. Uh, I mean, it's a great mark uh, that that you kind of just show up and you just you just you you know you didn't come with preconceived notions about what this kid could do. Uh, and you know, I, I I got just totally rolled over when I was 19 and 20 going into clubs and they go like, okay, where's the tour manager? I'm like, it's me. And they're like, no, really, where's the tour manager? I'm like, no, it's me. You know what I mean? Um, and, and the guy would treat me like, yeah, I, I won't mention any names or venues, but there were a couple in particular where I was treated like absolute dog shit until the moment that my band came up. And then all of a sudden they were looking over my shoulder because all of a sudden they were like, oh, oh okay. Was, right. You do know so, what you do. How about that? What are the so, odds? So, <laughs> so I don't like what it feels like when someone just based on nothing, you know, uh, decides that, that I must be an idiot. And so um, I'm sensitive to that. But it was really cool to, to see you not do that, you know, just show up and and be like, yeah, man, let's have a great time. It was really cool. Um, so one of the one of the reasons that I've, I've gone in and out of country music as a genre, as a working engineer, one of the reasons I do enjoy being in this genre is we're typically not always, but typically surrounded by some pretty good people. Uh, it's, it's a lot more of a, of a, not just our camp, but a lot of camps that are more of a family environment where you surround yourself with like-minded people. Because there's 100,000 engineers out there that could do this job. I just happen to fit in with this group of people. I love them, but love me, it works. It's really the end of it. And it's, I find it to be the same with just about every camp. It all starts with the guy or girl with their face on the T-shirt. Whatever they're like, they're going to surround themselves with people like that. It's just nature. It's not even – they don't even do it on purpose. It just happens that way. But um, I've, I've, had my, uh, I've had my share of, of uh, experiences in other genres. So uh, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Well, let's uh, again uh, uh, publicly, Wayne. I want to thank you for uh, for the cool hang, man, and for for taking the time to to play with the nerds and uh, <laughs> let's off the leash a little bit. It was my pleasure. No, it was that was fun, man. Uh, Wayne, thanks. Thank you again for for uh, for chatting with us this evening, man. We had a great time talking to you, and uh, we appreciate you being with us. 